here's the deal, folks. It's the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. The Detroit Lions are on a three-game win streak. Two of those being on the road the first time since 2017. We're sitting at four and six, a couple games out of the wild card spot, but we have a game in hand, and the Buffalo Bills are coming to Detroit on Turkey Day. This is the best football the Detroit Lions have played, not only in the Dan Campbell era. This is the best football the Detroit Lions have played since Jim Caldwell was roaming the sidelines at Ford Field. That fucking means something. And above all else, the best part is the reason the Lions have bounced back the way they have. The reason we're in this spot with any hope at all. There's any bit of a smile coming across my face. It's because of the rookies. It's because of guys like Aiden Hutchinson. It's because of guys like Kirby Joseph. It's because of second-year guys like Ali McNeil, Amon Ross St. Brown. It's because of a guy that Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell doubled down on. Jared Goff, Jamal Williams, this offensive line in which we've invested in. It's Turkey Day, and the Detroit Lions have a spark. That means something. Welcome back. This is the Detroiter. Um, I'm your host, obviously. <laughs> Nick Bradley, we're covering sports in the Motor City and the Mitten State. And it's a beautiful day to be alive, everybody. It's a beautiful day to be alive. Okay, it's a beautiful day to have seen the movie Napoleon Dynamite and witness the greatness that is Uncle Rico. It's a beautiful day to know what a pigskin is. You understand? It's a beautiful day to have suffered through decades and decades of anguish of Detroit Lions football. It's a beautiful day to say you're from a place like Detroit that's been up and then fallen down and kicked while they're down. Right. And made fun of nationally the punchline across America for years on and not just in the sports world. It's a beautiful day to have all of that be a part of your DNA. If you're out there and you're lucky enough to call yourself a Michigander or a Metro Detroiter more specifically, it is a beautiful day to be alive because we've got a group of people that work out of Allen Park, Michigan, right? They play every Sunday at a little place called Ford Field in downtown Detroit, Michigan. They are the Detroit Lions. We've got a group of gentlemen there who were punched, punched more than once in the fucking mouth, in the gut, in the reproductive organs where it hurts, a butterfly flying into it makes it feel like you got hit by a sledgehammer. They took a 12-ounce glove in a full-power uppercut right to the scrote. And these guys could have mailed it in. They could have been the Detroit Lions that have been since 1957. They absolutely could have. They could have been the Detroit Lions that, for more or less, were what we were last year. Right? I know we kind of turned it around towards the end of the season, but the first half of the year last year, we were a dead body that was showing up to football fields on Sundays. Plain and simple. We could have been the Detroit Lions that we were throughout the entire Patricia era. Just complacent. Waste of space. Warm sacks of liquid and blood. Fucking wasting everybody's time, including their own. This Lions team won in six three weeks ago. Everybody and their mothers out on not only the talent, people starting to turn their backs on the coaching staff, and a couple people starting to poke holes in what exactly is going on with the front office. The one piece that it filled or at least has felt up until this point, like we've got that taken care of. Right. Maybe we need a new quarterback. Maybe we need to figure out the defense. I don't know. Maybe Dan Campbell needs to go to Madden timeout use training camp. Maybe. I don't know. But hey, you know what? Brad Holmes, he's smart. He is the right guy. 
He knows what he's doing. He's hit on early round picks. He's hit on late round picks. He's made some trades that have acquired great value for us. We've got five picks in the top 65 in this year's draft. He seems to be doing all right. We've got plenty of cap space. He hasn't given out any bad contracts yet. He was baited into one or he had the opportunity to be baited into one with TJ Hawkinson. He got rid of him. Brad Holmes, we see, and people a couple weeks ago were starting to go, I don't even know if I'm sure about him. I'm not so certain Brad Holmes is the guy. I'm not so sure. And in three weeks, not only are people dead certain that Brad Holmes is the guy, because Aiden Hutchinson now is clearly, clearly the best defensive rookie in the NFL. I believe I saw a stat after the game yesterday that said he's tied for sacks or has more sacks than both. Or no, no, no. He has the same number of sacks as Kayvon Thibodeau and Trayvon Walker combined, I believe it was. And he's tied for interceptions with Sauce Gardner. So the two other elite tier defensive linemen that were taken in Hutch's draft, Hutch is stacking up sack numbers that they can't even sniff. And the best, or at least one of Wooten with the Seahawks, or Wooten with the Seahawks would be the other, one of the top two defensive back rookies in the league, Sauce Gardner, who him and that Jets defense have been getting all kinds of praise this year, and rightfully so. They've been great. Sauce has been great. Hutch is tied for interceptions with a guy who spends every play defending the pass. Hutch drops back here and there, just has a nose for the football, understands the game of football, is one of those guys that, sure, maybe Hutch, and you know what, he is he is a freak. He is physically gifted. He is uber talented. I There is this narrative about Hutch where it's like he's not the most talented guy. Hutch is pretty fucking talented. Um, he's built like a, a, a brick shithouse. He can move. He's quick. He's great with his hands. Like Hutch is a freak. Don't get that twisted. But the thing that does set Hutch apart, and I feel like the fact that he has this trait, people kind of use it to take away from the athleticism that he does have. What sets Hutch apart is just – football IQ, like knowing when a play's coming to him, knowing where for some reason, whether it's because he's been studying the film or he just has that it factor. He just instinctually in his bones for some reason when he drops back, has a there's a guy, there's a drag route that's gonna go right behind me. For like whatever it is, Hutch has that thing that you can't earn by repping bench press, that you can't get by running wind sprints. He has that thing up here, and he has that thing in here where every play, I don't give a fuck. If it's the 12th sequential play that the defense has been on the field, he is going to bust his ass, whether it's getting to the quarterback, whether it's dropping back in coverage, whether it's running all the way down the line to tackle Saquon Barkley on a stretch play that went away from him, whatever it is, there is no half play. There is no half-ass for Aiden Hutchinson. Anytime the ball is snapped, if he's in between the white lines, he is going to come for your fucking throat, and he's going to come until either the whistle blows or you put him in the ground and refuse to let him get up. That's just the way he's hardwired. And you know what the best part is? We watched in hard knocks when they took Aiden Hutchinson, Dan Campbell, Brad Holmes. We heard the way them and the coaching staff talked about him, and a lot of what they said was, "This guy, he's just our kind of guy, man. Like, he's tough. He fucking loves football. He knows football. He has a motor that doesn't stop. Yes, he's big. Yes, he's fast. Yes, he can rush the passer. Yeah, he has all of the things. Like, you can be the hardest worker. You can have the nonstop motor. If you're 5'10", 170, you're not going to make it in the NFL, plain and simple. You know what I mean? Like, yes, to some point, you have to have the raw athleticism. But he has that. Everybody in the top 10 in the NFL draft has that. 
He has that thing that you cannot coach. He has that thing that you cannot get in the weight room, that you cannot get a little bit watching film, but the motor, the want to, the fumble he recovered against the Giants, that third turnover. That wasn't Aiden Hutchinson being a freak. That wasn't Aiden Hutchinson having the best rip move in the NFL. That wasn't him bench pressing 500 pounds. That wasn't him squatting. That wasn't him studying a playbook. That was none of that. That had nothing to do with talent. It had nothing to do with athleticism. That was Aiden Hutchinson playing the play, hunting down the ball until the play was over. He hunted down the ball. It looked like it was over. Will Harris stuck. I don't know. I can't remember who caught that pass and fumbled it for the Giants. Number 15 or number 19? I can't remember. Will Harris sticks him. And because Aiden Hutchinson isn't ball watching, he's running to the football he's gonna see what happens he's on the fucking field so he's gonna give it it all and try and get involved because of that the ball squeaks out and guess who's fucking there Aiden Hutchinson springs on it and essentially ices the Giants for the victory that's the type of shit that that if you have the second overall pick in the NFL draft you have to hit on those guys and yes there will be the guys that maybe they weren't as talented or they have injury problems whatever at the bare minimum, you have to hit on those type of guys when it comes to the want to and when it comes to the IQ. Because you can be the smartest or you can be the most athletic in the world. Hutchinson could be a faster player with better pass rush moves who's stronger. He gives up on that play. The Lions may not recover that fumble. Who knows what happens? I fucking love Aiden Hutchinson. Kirby Joseph, third, I believe, interception for him in his rookie campaign. Third round pick, Brad Holmes. Amon Ra, another massive fucking game, just being Jared Goff's go-to guy. Anytime it felt like we needed a big play, there he is. There's Amon Ra. And, and guys like Tom Kennedy, where the hell did he come from? Brad Holmes, just pluck him. He's making plays. We get rid of TJ Hawkinson. We don't need him. The tight ends step up. They make some plays. There's a couple. Is it Jesse James down at the goal line? I think it was a third and two, and he catches it for the first down, and we end up scoring a play or two later. Like guys that who knows where they came from, guys that aren't billed as – you can't miss them. Anybody with a brain will get them. Brad Holmes is just going around and plucking these dudes anywhere he can find them, and they're making plays and contributing to victories. Aleem McNeil, I think he was a second-round guy, just being a force all fucking day yesterday, all day, in Daniel Jones's face, dictating the run game. That's why the Lions won. That's why the defense was successful, is because Saquon Barkley couldn't do shit. All the Giants want to do, they're similar to us. All they want to do is turn around and give it to Saquon Barkley as many times as they can. And then right when they feel that the defense has sold out to stop them from giving it to Saquon Barkley, they're going to pull it back and Daniel Jones is going to try and go over the top of you. That's all the New York Giants want to do. And that's exactly what the Cats stop them from doing. Oh, you want to give it to Saquon 40 times a day? Give it to him 20 and you're still going to average maybe two yards a carry. You're still going to fucking struggle. That's because of guys like Aleem McNeil. It's because of guys like the Okwara brothers. It's because of guys like Aiden Hutchinson. Malcolm Rodriguez back in the lineup. Playing the run game well. Playing the way we heard about him in Hard Knocks. What was it? Was sixth? Was Rodriguez a sixth-round pick? This guy's just day one starter at the linebacker position, elevating the position group, stuffing the run. Probably the best linebacker that we have. The guy's a sixth-round rookie. Brad Holmes is the guy. And the craziest thing is Jamison Williams just came back to practice yesterday. We haven't seen that guy touch the field. People are talking about he's the best wide receiver in the draft. He's the fastest guy, if not one of 
in the NFL. He hasn't played a snap for the Detroit Lions and the offense has been humming. And it couldn't come at a better time because the wide receiver depth has thinned out. We got Shark back this week against the Giants, which was nice. Granted, didn't do a whole lot, but, you know, depth is depth. We'll take it any way we can get it. Jamison Williams is going to add an element to this de- or to this offense that we haven't, not only have we not had it this year, we haven't had it since Calvin Johnson wore Honolulu Blue. We're going to have a guy who's going to be able to line up, and all he'll have to do is, hey, Jamison, just, you know, go straight. And it's going to dictate the way a defense plays. You thought the play-action game has been lethal as it is? Wait until we can run a play-action fake and Jamison Williams is running a slant and go. And if the safety even fucking hesitates, hesitates for a moment, thinking that it's a run, Jamison Williams is behind you for a 60-yard touchdown. We're getting a guy who can run a three-yard slant, and there's there's a chance that he just houses it. Because you know what? You're slow. You're NFL. You're an NFL player. You're fucking fast. You're one of the fastest people in America. Jamison Williams? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Compared to him, you're slow as fuck. We've got a guy who's a threat to score a touchdown every single play, certainly every time he touches the ball. And I know it's still a long shot here. I don't want to act like, oh, man, that win against the Giants means we're in. That's the, that's what we needed. That sealed the deal. No, no, no. I understand the playoffs are still a long shot. I understand there is a lot of work to be done. I understand the Buffalo Bills are a top three team in the NFL, and that's who we've got Thanksgiving, right? This whole parade, the three-game win streak, everything we're feeling right now could turn ugly pretty quickly. Not pretty quickly, but you know what I mean. It could not be as fun Thursday around, I don't know, 4 p.m. We could be looking around going, fuck, we're four and seven. We got kind of smoked by the Bills at home. We're feeling good. God. Like, we're at a point right now. Sucks. Sucks to say. But if we are going to make a push for the playoffs, we can't really afford to lose many more games. Like, we can afford to maybe lose twice more. Maybe lose twice more. The Bills are really fucking good. The Bills are a really good fucking team. But the thing is, I'm not concerned about that. I want to make the playoffs. I hope we do. I hope we beat the Bills Thanksgiving and we're feeling even better than we are right now, if that's fucking possible. Yeah, absolutely. But let's think back really fast. Let's think back to where the season began. Nobody was expecting us. Fans, us, we, Detroit, we weren't expecting this team to make the playoffs. I think what we expected or what we had hoped was what they're doing right now to play better, to look better, to win more games. To be competitive more frequently. I mean, you look at the games, the Lions have lost. Yeah, the Vikings game, kind of brutal. Yep, the Seahawks game, kind of brutal. Outside of the Patriots game where we got fucking cream, and I get you know, the Cowboys game we got kind of dominated, we've been right there every single week. Even the game, right fucking there. Right there. The team's been more competitive. We've got four wins. There's seven games left. We finished with three last year total. The Giants are going to make the playoffs. The Giants are 7-2, and two, or they were 7-2. and two. We fucking dominated. Not only did we beat the Giants Sunday, we dominated those guys from the moment the game began to the moment it ended. We dominated the line of scrimmage on both sides of the football. 
Jared Goff was fantastic. He didn't have to do anything crazy, and he never will. As long as the Lions are playing the way that they should be, the way that this team has been built up to this point, Jared Goff, you will never have to do anything crazy. And he didn't have to. He didn't try to force anything. He didn't try to do too much. He took what the defense gave him, and it worked out beautifully. He made big throws when he needed to, converted big third downs when he needed to. He put a couple footballs in some tight windows when we needed him to. I thought Jared Goff played well. The offensive line, which we knew would be the strength of the offense, fucking moved the Giants at will every single drive all day Sunday. They did whatever they want. Guys like Penny Sewell, that's a dream. Penny Sewell did whatever the fuck he wanted. He probably felt incredible walking off that field. The whole group probably did. You're playing a playoff defensive front. like the. You, I know the Giants aren't the most intimidating team in the world. I know that they're not the Eagles or the Bills or the Chiefs. I understand that. I know that they're probably not going to win the Super Bowl. Listen, they are going to make the playoffs, and you don't accidentally go 7-2, and two, right? You don't accidentally find yourself in the playoff. And the core of any good team, I don't give a fuck how good your wide receivers are. I don't care how good your quarterback is. I don't care how good your secondary is. None of that shit matters if you cannot put up a fight at least at the line of scrimmage. The New York Giants at the line of scrimmage, that's not a slouch. That defensive line, it's not a bunch of trash cans rolling out there. Penny Sewell, Taylor Decker, Ragnow, Jonah Jackson, those guys moved a good defensive line at will. And the running backs ran low to the ground. Justin Jackson, how about him filling in? DeAndre, if there is a negative for this game, there's I would say there are two negatives for this game. One of them being DeAndre Swift. I don't know. I don't know if he's injured. I don't know if he's like mentally checked out. I, I don't know. He run, he's been running. He's not the same guy that he was at the start of the year. I don't know. He's like afraid to go up the field. Uh, he's afraid to lower his shoulder. If it was a third and one and he had to lower his shoulder to get that first down, I don't. I have no confidence in the fact that he would. I don't know what's wrong with it. He just, he's running like he doesn't really want to get hit. He's running like if, you know, lowering the shoulder and initiating the contact gets the job done or trying a spin move maybe gets the job done. He's running like he's going to hit the spin move every single time, and that's just not what we need. The reason the run game was successful yesterday, obviously the offensive line, Jamal Williams, it's one cut. You get into the whole one cut, lower your shoulder, and fall forward for three more. Justin Jackson, the reason he was successful, you see the hole, you put your fucking foot in the ground, and you go get five yards. I don't need you to try and break everybody's ankles. I don't need you to cut it back across the entire field. Let our offensive line do the work. That is the strength of this offense. Our entire fucking team. Dan Campbell and Brad Holmes have said it now since the day they got to Detroit. The team is being built at the line of scrimmage. We don't need running backs who are going to throw out all the hard work the offensive line does by making cuts, by cutting it back, by hitting spin moves, by trying to juke everybody. We need running backs who admire and appreciate and recognize the work that Penny Sewell did. And they go, okay, there's the hole. I'm going to go get four yards. Boom. All right, this safety wants to try and hit me. Here's my left fucking shoulder, and I'm going to fall forward for two more. That's what we need. The running backs were unbelievable all day. Wide receivers were great. Tom Kennedy, again, shout out Brad Holmes. Don't know where the fuck he came from. Had some big third down conversions, some big catches. Amon Ra being Amon Ra, just being a great player for us. Um, I think he was a third round pick by Brad Holmes last year as well. Like, That's my favorite part about all of this. I mean, yes, I love winning. I love seeing that the Lions improve. I love the fact that in the month of November, not only are we undefeated, dude, I, I, the, the, we're a different team. 
I don't recognize the Detroit Lions. The defense, we have a defense. The other team punts now. We get off of the field. It's a third and seven, and I'm watching the game going, all right, let's fucking make a play. Hutch, let's get a little pressure, force a bad throw, and let's get the ball back. I'm watching the game, and the other team's in a third down spot, and I'm sitting on my couch fucking relaxed as can be going, Jared, you're about to get a chance to score right here, buddy. We turn the ball over. We're forcing interceptions. Aiden Hutchinson just mossing kids, dropping back from the line of scrimmage. Kirby Joseph being a ball hawk, a rookie out of Illinois, I believe, another third-round guy, just makes plays in the secondary. When's the last time we had a dude in the secondary, Darius Slay, who just made fucking plays, who just appeared, who just, you need to stop, here's Kirby Joseph. When's the last time we had a guy like that? It is Darius Slay. Third-round pick out of Illinois, Kirby Joseph. Doing that, we stop the run. Saquon Barkley, the reason, again, you don't accidentally become 7-2. and two. They've got a good offensive line. They run the football on pretty much everybody. All of a sudden, our defensive line is just controlling the run line of scrimmage. Our linebackers get downhill and eliminate Saquon Barkley from the game. What? What happened when the calendar turned to November? The Detroit Lions are a different fucking team. It's unreal to watch because the offense, obviously, even when we were losing games early on, it was the most frustrating part. The offense was great. We were scoring a bunch of points. Goff looked pretty good. Amon Ra was putting up numbers. Swift was great. The offensive line was doing their thing. We just couldn't stop anybody. All of a sudden, Aubrey Pleasant gets fired. Maybe that is then the key. I don't know. It's, you know, it's fucking tough to say. I, I don't I don't know if maybe when that came around. Aaron Glenn had lit a fire under his ass and he started calling defense more aggressively or has changed his philosophy. I'm not really sure what exactly the deal is, but the defense is unrecognizable. I have, I watch the Lions now and I feel pretty good about the performance our defense is going to turn in. It's crazy. It's crazy. And don't get me wrong. We're going to get tested like we haven't been against the Bills this week. It's going to be like the Eagles game and the defense struggled to be nicely struggled against the Eagles. We're going to see what happens against the bills because yeah, the giants were seven and two the giants are going to make the playoffs. I thought Daniel Jones still played pretty well for the most part, despite the interceptions. Um, The giants aren't the bills. Daniel Jones is not Josh Allen. So we're going to see what the fuck happens on Thanksgiving. We're going to see how legit, how much better the defense has gotten because it feels like they have. And now you guys get a big-time fucking test. And like I said, our backs are against the wall. We can only afford to lose. If we really want to make a run at the playoffs, we can only afford to lose maybe twice more. Maybe. The crowd at Ford Field is going to be fucking raucous. You're coming off a three-game win streak. When people were starting to throw their sails into the wind, I don't even know if that's an expression, and call it on this season, you guys rip off three straight. You beat the Packers. You beat the Bears on the road for Dan Campbell's first road win, and then you back it up with another road win against a playoff team. That's fucking impressive. That'll get the people going, and it has. You can already tell. You can already tell. After the Bears game last week, you could tell Lions fans were a little bit more like, all right, fuck yeah. All right, let's go. Let's go. Let's see what happens. Yeah. You rip that one against the Giants. People are buzzing on the internet. And you know, a lot of them are saying, let's see. Let's see what happens on Thanksgiving. And I don't blame them. I really don't blame them because we're playing with a thin error of margin or margin of error. Error of margin. Let's see what happens on Thanksgiving. But dude, 
things are getting better. Things are getting fucking better to think about. And I hate to do it. I really hate to do it because, you know, next year is a year away. As a matter of fact, we still are kind of in the dead middle of this football season. And I I hate to do it, but you look at, you know, let's make the playoffs this year. Let's see what happens. We've got five picks in the top 65. I want to say we've got like 50 million in cap space. Jamison Williams hasn't played a snap. You start to look around next season could be special. Next season, some stuff could happen. Next season, some stuff could happen for the Detroit Lions. I don't know. I don't want to look ahead because it's still 2022. We're still talking about this year. We're four and six. Let's beat the Bills on Thursday. Absolutely. But you start to think, you're looking at the way this team is playing and the way we've won the last few weeks, the defense coming on, just owning the line of scrimmage. And you get to think, we're going to add five guys in the top two rounds. That's five guys that are going to come in day one and contribute. And we've got 50 mil to go play around with in free agency, to bring in veterans, to bring in even more guys that are going to be day one contributors that are going to elevate the ceiling of this team. It's fucking interesting because I'll tell you this, no matter how this season ends, and granted, if it ends with us losing the next seven in a row, people aren't going to feel very good about the Lions or about the regime at all. I understand. I don't think that's going to happen. This team... We were saying it early on, too, like this team is too good to be that bad. Maybe they're not good enough to make the playoffs or anything, but this team is too good to be that bad, to be one in fucking 16 or whatever it is. They're way too good to be that bad. This team is too good to lose the next seven. That's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. But, you know, the odds are against us to make a playoff appearance. If if this the rest of the season plays out, win one, lose one, win one, lose one. Like we're kind of up and down. We're winning games. We're being competitive even when we do lose. There's going to be a genuine buzz around the Detroit Lions next year. You thought there was a buzz this year with hard knocks and all of that shit. There's going to be a big-time fucking buzz next year if this continues, and reasonably so. I mean, God forbid we make the playoffs. The city's going to burn down. If we make the playoffs this year, the fucking city, Detroit, you won't be able to drive a car for a week in the city of Detroit. You won't. Nobody's going to go to work. Are you fucking joking? You thought, oh, we can't stop the production line at General Motors. Fuck that. We don't care how much money the shareholders lose. The Lions just made the playoffs. You think we're going to come in and assemble F-150s in River Rouge? Fuck no. We're hosting a playoff game. or Well, we're not going to host a playoff game, but we've got a playoff game. Fuck no. I don't know. I don't know. It's an interesting time. It was a beautiful thing to watch that game Sunday. It was a beautiful thing to to back up like a big win and an emotional one because that Bears game was pretty fucking wild. It was back and forth, and we kind of won that in a crazy fashion with the pick six and the way that game went, especially towards the end of the comeback. It fucking, it's great to win the follow-up because you would think a little bit of a letdown spot. Like the Giants are playing for positioning. They're playing for a home game in the playoffs. The Giants need this, and, you know, if – from a Giants perspective, the Lions come to town, you're thinking we're going to beat the fuck out of these guys. How wouldn't we? You're thinking the Lions are going, well, we could use the draft pick. You know, we're probably not going to make the playoffs. Do you think the Lions might roll over to to be in the spot that we were in off the emotional victory against a divisional rival and go to the Meadowlands and dominate the way we did and everybody pulling their weight? 
It's a beautiful thing, dude. Like the offensive line was great. The running backs were great. The receivers were great. Jared Goff was great. The tight ends were great. The defensive line was awesome. The linebackers were good. The secondary made some plays. Like every, the kicking game, we made field goals. Jack Fox was Jack Fox. Like every phase of the game, Dan Campbell, credit to him. There were no boneheaded decisions. He went for it when he should. He kicked it when he should. He used timeouts when he should. Every phase of the fucking game, everybody did their part. And it worked. And we won. And we won comfortably. And when it got a little hairy, when we called offense in the third quarter like we were up 50, we the Cardinal sent of winning a game in the NFL is thinking you're up by way more than you are and parking the bus. And next thing you know, your leads evaporated. They have all the momentum and you're hanging your head when the clock hits zeros. A story we've seen far too often with the Detroit Lions when it started to feel like, oh shit, we might be going down that road when Breida scored that touchdown. Ben Johnson unleashes a little bit. We open it back up. We score again and we ice them. We take the life out of them. We put the throat or put our hand on their fucking throats and squeeze until they go purple in the face. That was a disgusting picture. Way too violent, way too graphic, but that's how it felt. And when you're a team like the Lions who doesn't do that very frequently and you're always seemingly in the position to do so, when you finally do execute it, God damn it, it feels good. Because you know, Lions fans far and wide going into halftime with the lead. It was like, look, that was great. Unreal first half. We're going to get the ball, but fucking win the game, please. Please win the game. Please finish this off. Please don't do what the Detroit Lions have been doing all my life. And it looked like, fuck, they might. Ben Johnson's calling plays like we're up 50. Oh, fuck. Aaron Glenn still was sending pressure. Aaron Glenn wasn't afraid to play zero coverage. We're forcing turnovers. We're getting in Daniel Jones's faces. We called defense like it was 0-0. And when it got to be a little bit more crunch time, Ben Johnson, the Khalif Raymond end around to pick up the first down. We're throwing the ball. It's play action. Ben Johnson's going, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to call offense like we need to score a touchdown to win this game. And we did. DeAndre Swift gets in. We forced the fumble. Game. Lions win. It was a thing of beauty. Shout out to Dan Campbell. Shout out to the staff. Shout out to the team. And shout out to Lions fans, dude. Don't be afraid to be excited. It feels good. Quick break. We'll be right back. It's going to be an all football show today, folks. I mean, how couldn't it be? Um, we got the Lions out of the way. The story of the weekend being the Detroiter. Let's talk about Detroit first. Let's talk about the Lions. But now that that's out of the way, let's talk two other stories. Let's talk Michigan. And um, I guess let's talk about Michigan State. I guess. I can already feel myself sweating. Just at mentioning the word Michigan State shortly after saying football, I can feel myself sweating. I can feel my heart rate elevating. I can feel myself wanting to just Ha <sighs> you know, I can feel it. I was in a good mood. I was happy. Two minutes ago, I was happy. We were talking about the Detroit Lions, and it was good. We went three in a row. Things are looking up. Guys are playing well. People are still fighting for Dan Campbell. It was awesome. And then I mentioned the words Michigan State, <laughs> and the thought of that game against Indiana Saturday, and I want to fucking punch my refrigerator. Do you understand how frustrating it is to watch football games like that. Like, just lose by 40. Just lose the way we did against Minnesota. Just lose because you stink. 
just lose because they have infinitely more talent than you. Don't lose because of ineptitude in the easiest phase of the fucking game. You can't make a 22-yard field goal. You can't make a 22-yard field goal. That's like making the MLS and all of a sudden it's like, wait a second. You can't kick a soccer ball? Wait a second. You can't get it from the corner kick area into the mixer? Wait a second. You play hockey in the NHL, but you can't ice skate? It's a 22-yard field goal. Do you understand how easy that is? I've ne- I've kicked maybe like three footballs in my life. Terrible at it. I genuinely believe right now I maybe I'm like, yeah, I'd probably hit a 22 yarder. It cannot be that hard. You are a division one football program. You're Michigan State. Mel Tucker, you make $95 million. The easiest part, I'm sure Mel Tucker's job is fucking challenging. I'm sure he has to deal with so much shit every single day. But you know what? I'd be willing to wager the easiest part of Mel's job is finding a guy to kick fucking footballs because we did it in high school. My high school football team, we sucked. We were the worst. The two years I played on varsity, we won four games between the two years. We were terrible. We got shit pumped by every good team we played. We had a great kicker both years. We kicked extra points. And every time we did, it was like, yeah, what it's an extra we're gonna make this it's an extra point what do you mean we kicked if it was under like 35 yards we kicked field goals and the expectation was we're gonna i mean it's a 32 yard field goal I, of course we're gonna make it what do you this guy's on the soccer team you think he misses field goals we're in michigan state we're a big time football program and you can't find a guy to hit a 22 yarder when the game is on the line that makes me fucking sick to my stomach it really does And they did the same bullshit that the Lions always do. Losing in the excruciating way. If we were down, I think we were up 24 to 7 at half. It was a great first half. The the state looked unreal. The defense was awesome. And a similar story to the Lions. The defense has kind of been surging, trending up for MSU. The defense was awesome. Indiana couldn't do shit offensively. Our offense was great. We were running the football. Peyton Thorne looked pretty good. State dominated that first half. It looked like we were going to win that game like 35 to 10. It looked like everybody was going to be able to turn it off in the fourth quarter because there was no possible chance Indiana came back. And next thing you know, we're in double overtime and we lose 39-31. Losing a game because the other team has better players is one thing, right? When you lose to Ohio State – you lose this year to Michigan. I don't, I'm not so sure I believe it anymore, but we'll give you the benefit of the doubt. You lose to a team like Minnesota. Okay. Washington. All right. Fine. When you lose a game because you coach like pussies, you coach not to lose rather than coaching to win. You make simple, simple, simple mistakes that cost you big not being able to cover a kick, not being able to make a field goal, not understanding how you're supposed to call offense, Jay Johnson, you fucking moron. When you lose games because of that, that's what I cannot live with. I can live with CJ Stroud toasting us because he's going to be a top five pick. I can't live with number 10 for Indiana housing a 98-yard kick right after we scored because we have the worst special teams coordinator in the country. I can't. 
I can live with giving up big points to Washington because Michael Penix and the Husky wide receivers are just a filthy combination. I can't live with losing to Indiana because all they do is run the ball. You know it. They know it. The crowd knows it. A fucking ant outside the parking lot of Spartan Stadium knows it. They had two completions for 32 yards. I can't live with giving up enough points in the second half to lose that game when everybody on the planet knows that all they want to do is run the ball. And you still fail to stop it. I can't live with that. I can live with missing a field goal because it's a 51-yarder, the wind's blowing. Tough kick. I cannot live with losing a game because you can't find a guy at the highest level of Division I football to make a 22-yard field goal. I've played with numerous people in my life that would make that nine times out of ten. Probably more. Probably like 49 times out of 50. You're Michigan State. It's Division I football. You can't find a guy to hit that kick. That's fucking embarrassing. And I know Mel Tucker, he's got so much shit going on. He's probably not the most concerned with the kicking game or with special teams. He's probably worried about the defense. He's probably worried about the offense. He's probably worried about recruiting. He's probably worried about dealing with donor. He's probably worried. There's a lot of shit he's got going on. At the end of the day, you are the head coach, Mel. At the end of the day, it does fall on you to find a guy who can make 22-yard kicks because my fucking bum head coach in high school did it. Go to a soccer practice. Hey, any of you guys free Saturday? We need a kicker. You will find 12 fucking dudes who can do the job. How do you think high school teams find their kickers? They go to soccer practice one day and they go, hey, guys, we brought a football. I'm going to hold some for you. You want to kick? You'd be interested in playing on Fridays. We could use one of you. And somebody goes, yeah, I'll do it. And they end up being all right. You know, they're not hitting 50-yard bombs, but they can hit a kick from 35 and in. They can hit the kickoff. They can do what you need them to do at the high school level. You don't think a Division One soccer team, you don't think there's a couple guys, you don't think there's a couple guys, forget the other athletes at the school, you don't think there's a couple guys running around the intramural fields that can kick a 22-yard field goal? You don't think if you go to the Division II IM semifinal at Munn on a Tuesday night, you're not going to find somebody who would be fucking elated to kick field goals for you? I mean, it's fucking pathetic that that's the reason you lose the game. And yeah, a lot of other things happened. The defense was atrocious in the second half. The offense was somehow worse. I hate Jay Johnson. Yeah, the special teams is a joke. Ross Ells should have been fired the second the game ended. Absolutely. There's a lot of reasons we lost that game. But at the end of the day, if you hit a 22-yard field goal, we win. We're going to a bowl game, and nobody is talking about this. That was the worst part of losing that game. The opposite of the Lions. The way that the Lions are surging right now, and it may not matter when it's all said and done, but it feels pretty good. You know, people, it's improving it's getting better. There's a little validity now to the vision of Dan Campbell and Brad Holmes. The way that that has kind of galvanized the fan base, MSU had that same thing going. We won a few in a row. We're trending up. We beat Illinois on the road. It's all of a sudden like, all right, shit, this team's gotten better. I know the season hasn't gone the way we wanted it to, and I know it's still not going to end, 
the way we want it to just because anything short of the Big Ten is kind of like, who fucking cares, right? At least that's the way I look at it. To just dash away all of that momentum and the, the, the good feels that were surrounding the program, to lose that game the way that we did, I, it drives me nuts. Because if it was back and forth, and Indiana's making plays, and then, you know we're scoring, and it's like classic, and Indiana's fight. Listen, Indiana's fucking terrible. Indiana's bad. Indiana's really, really bad. And to lose that game after having the lead twenty-four to seven, and to just completely blow it in the second half, and blow it by being terrible on special teams, blow it by giving up the kick returns and missing field goals, blow it because Jay Johnson simply doesn't understand how you so you're supposed to call offense to blow it because you can't stop the run despite anybody with a fucking brain knowing all they want to do is run it that makes me sick to blow it when it's 11 degrees out and the crowd at Spartan Stadium for what what were we 5 and 6 now we're what were we 5 and 6 now we were 5 and 5 Spartan Stadium MSU we showed out there were a lot of fucking people at that game. It wasn't a packed house. It was freezing cold. It was snowing. I'm sure the wind was whipping. The season's a wash. I mean, the, nobody, the game's pointless. I'm surprised anybody won. And to play in front of the crowd that you did, I get it, senior night, to play in front of that crowd and to blow that game the way that you did, fucking inexcusable. Dashes any and all momentum the program had going in. That's what hurts the most. Indiana's fucking bad. You were up 24 to 7. I don't even know where to go. I don't know where to go from here. It's just so disappointing. I don't really want to talk about the game itself because it's going to make me angry. I just want to talk about what that game showed us, okay? There's a few things. Listen, there's a few questions surrounding this program. And I'd be willing to say there's a couple questions surrounding Mel Tucker. Now, Anybody, let me preface this. Anybody after that game, I understand it was a fucking pathetic loss. We suffered to Indiana Saturday. Anybody who's going buy him out, Mel Tucker's not worth it. You got to look at other options. Should never give him that contract. You got to fire Mel Tucker. I've said it a million times, dude. You don't know what the fuck you're talking about. To fire or even look at or consider getting rid of Mel right now would be the dumbest possible thing Michigan State could do. I don't know how many times people in the program, people like me out of the program need to say it. When Mel was brought into MSU, we had nobody. There's no talent. Mel Tucker was brought into a fucking bottom feeder level of talent at Michigan State. Mel Tucker was brought in with the idea like, hey, dude, if you can get us back to where we were in like five years, that'd be great because we stink right now. Mark really crashed the ship as great as he was and as much as he did. He really crashed the ship for you coming in here. You're going to play some teams like Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State who are going to be loaded talent-wise every year. And guess what, buddy? You're starting with fucking snails at every position. That's where we started. And we got a generational running back, Kenneth Walker. We beat Michigan. We won 11 games. Unbelievable year last year. Yeah. And that kind of, you know, that skewed the expectation. It's disappointing nonetheless. This season has been the fucking worst. But for anybody who's talking about, oh, Mel Tucker this, Mel Tucker that, if you thought year three was the year, if you thought this is a disappointment because how were you not winning 10 games? How were you not beating Michigan? How were you not beating Ohio State? You don't know what the fuck you're talking about. The worst thing State could do would to be even mentioning getting rid of Mel Tucker. If that's your prerogative, 
Michigan State fan, Michigan fan, God forbid you're a Michigan State fan talking like that. You don't know what you're talking about. Mel Tucker, don't let any like don't let this be lost on you, no matter how poorly this season's been. How poorly this how bad this season's been. Don't let it be lost on you. Mel Tucker is recruiting at an unprecedented level at Michigan State. Yeah, it's not going to be a top five class. It's better than anything we've ever had before. Okay. Uh, And the class of 2023, this class that will probably end up being like top 25, something like that, is his first true full class where he got to recruit him the entire cycle. He got to host them for in-person visits. He got to actually do the one thing he was brought here to do. Don't let that be lost on you. Don't let it be lost on you that we've got, I believe, two commits or three commits in the class of 2024, and they're all pretty high four stars, I believe, either two or three. Let me check right now. Don't let it be lost on you that we'll see what the class of 2023 ends up being, right? Hopefully top 25, hopefully top 20, hopefully it's the best class MSU's ever had. Don't let it be lost on you that the class of 2024 is going to be even better. Yeah, we've got two. We've got the 166th player from Florida and the 74th ranked player from Michigan committed in the class of 2024 right now. Don't let it be lost on you that Mel Tucker is overhauling this program. Like, it wasn't supposed to be year three. We're winning 12 and we're going to the Rose Bowl and we're going to Indy and we're doing it. It was like, all right, year six, hopefully. That's those were the conversations being had. And I understand it's still not an excuse to lose a game like that against Indiana. But in the end of the day, when the Mel Tucker project has come to fruition, when we do get to a point where it's like, okay, you've had time, you've been able to recruit, you've had the opportunity to bring the level of talent you said you would, you've had the opportunity to hire the biggest, the best, the brightest coordinators in the country. You've had the opportunity to build a brand new facility and lure players with that. You've had the opportunity to market yourself and brand Michigan State nationally. When we get to that point, which will be, hate to break it to you, it's not even going to be next year and it might not even be the year after that. When we get there in like 2024, 2025, 2026, when we get there, then we can go, all right, now, let's look at this. Let's look at everything. Let's look at everything that we have. And then we can make a decision because people will say Michigan fans love to do this. Brady Hoke, he's Brady Hoke with 95 million. Brady Hoke inherited a team that was loaded. Okay. Brady Hoke recruited really well at Michigan. Couldn't get it done. People love to say Jim Harbaugh year one did this. Jim Harbaugh year two, Jim Harbaugh year three. Sure. And I do think Jim Harbaugh gets ripped on because he lose, He always lost to Ohio State because he loses to MSU a good amount because, you know, he hasn't been able to get over the hump. But look, Jim Harbaugh wins 10 games at Michigan almost every single year, right? Outside of 2020, I think he's won 10 every single year he's been there. But don't get that twisted either. When Jim Harbaugh came to U of M, that, that roster was loaded. Brady Hoke was recruiting top 10, top 15 classes every year. Jim Harbaugh's roster was fucking stacked when he got to Michigan. People need to understand Mel Tucker, the roster that he inherited at MSU, was like a MAC roster. There's a reason everybody who transfers out or has transferred out up until this point goes to Northern Illinois, goes to Western Michigan. Like, there's a reason that nobody transfers to Alabama. There's a reason nobody here is transferring to top-tier programs. 
Mel Tucker is turning over the roster and it's a slow process because you know what? It's great getting these guys in the transfer portal. He got Kenneth Walker last year. Jacoby Winman helped us before the suspension this year. Yeah, it's great. Depth is a massive part of football. So you have those guys, you get them in the transfer portal. Guess what? Darius Snow goes down. You didn't get a transfer backup linebacker. Charles Brantley gets injured. He's out for a game. You, you didn't recruit a backup corner. Like you need to recruit for years. You need to stack the talent for years because the reason Alabama's great, the reason Georgia's great, the reason all these teams are, if they're starting left guard, they're starting safety, they're starting running back, whoever it is goes out. Sure. Maybe the production drops off a little bit, but guess what, dude, that next guy is a fucking savage. You're not going from division one, top 250 recruit in the country to top 800 recruit in the country, a guy who may or may not start for Central Michigan. That isn't the fall off. Michigan State, when Xavier Henderson went out, he went out and it was Kendall Brooks who transferred in from a Division II school. That doesn't happen other places. That doesn't happen when you've allowed Mel Tucker to recruit high school classes for two, three, four years. And you have to think now, it's only going to get better, Right. Like you have to think this is the 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 most trenches the talent pool at MSU will be after you know it's Mel Tucker will get another class this year, Mel Tucker will get another class next year. He'll hit the recruiting or the transfer portal again. Like Mel Tucker at this point will only be able to accumulate more of his talent and kind of shed the Peyton Thorns of the world. It's the truth. It's the cold hard truth. Peyton Thorne wouldn't be surprised if he's at Western Michigan next year. Cold hard truth. The the talent level at State will only get better. But here's the thing. Here's the thing with Mel. And what were the questions that do surround him this offseason is how are you going to run this thing? Because the problem with D'Antonio became you want to keep your offensive coordinator, your defensive coordinator around because they're your buddies. They've been there forever. Even though you, me, everybody knows they're not getting it done. Here's going to be the question with Mel Tucker. We know there are people on this staff that just can't cut it. Ross L, special teams guy, fucking can't do it. Get rid of him. Jay Johnson, clearly not the guy for the job. Scotty Hazleton, maybe, certainly deserves an evaluation. This offseason, we're going to find out if Mel Tucker is legit or not. Because I'll tell you this. I said it once. I'll say it again. I'll say it till I fucking croak. Nick Saban at Alabama, you don't get to be bad at your job under Nick Saban and show up again next year. You're an offensive coordinator. You call three inside runs when we haven't run it inside successfully once all day. Yeah, dude, Nick Saban just fucking checked your name off the list and he's going to talk to you in the middle of June. Plain and simple. Is Mel Tucker going to run this thing like a CEO? Is gonna is he going to run this like a Nick Saban, like somebody who means business? Hey, Jay, appreciate you. Appreciate all the hard work. Listen, you didn't do good, a good enough job. We're going to go find someone else. See ya. Or is it going to be, all right, Jay, you know, I brought you in. I have faith in you. Well, let's see. That is going to be the question for Mel Tucker. If this offseason comes and goes and Jay Johnson's still here, Ross Ells is still here, Scotty Hazleton. Scotty Hazleton is the one guy that if he does bring him back, I'd be like, okay, the defense improved. We're going to get more talent defensively. Let's see what happens. Let's see. Let's see. Not like, oh, Scotty Hazleton's here for good. Let's see what happens this year. And he's, in my mind, on a game-by-game basis. Jay Johnson needs to go. Special teams needs to go. 
Chris Kapilovich, I wouldn't be surprised if he's on the hot seat. He's supposed to be one of the best O-line coaches in the country. Our offensive line's been fucking terrible all season long. This offseason, is Mel Tucker, is he a smart enough guy? Is he a good enough coach to recognize, hey, these are my weaknesses, X, Y, and Z. I need to change those. I'm not great at managing games. Let me get somebody who is. Our offensive coordinator isn't the best, and I don't know shit about offense. Let me find someone who does. Our defense could use a little help. Let me look at it, Scotty. Let me look at who's out there. Do I have better options? Is Mel Tucker the real deal enough to make changes when they present themselves, or is he going to ride it out with his guys simply because they're his guys? That is the question for Mel going into this offseason. There is no buyout. There is no, should we look at who else is out there? Fuck no. Mel Tucker's the guy. He's going to recruit. But Mel Tucker needs to run Michigan State. He needs to be focused on the brand awareness, talking to the donors and the alumni and all that shit, and recruiting. And let everybody else find smart people who are good at their jobs to handle all of the shit related to football. To call the offense, to call the defense, to scheme up a playbook, to run the fucking practice, whatever it is. Find good people to do that. You worry about recruiting people to Michigan State. You worry about building the brand. You worry about getting money to build the facility. You worry about that. Find good people to call offense, to call defense. You're going to win games. Nick Saban. There's a reason he's been in Alabama forever. There's a reason they win all the time. You don't do a good enough job, fucking see ya. This isn't a, this isn't a charity. That's the question with Mel Tucker going into the offseason. I fucking hope he's I, – I, listen, I hope, I hope, I hope Mel is humble enough to go, all right, I got to change this, this, and this. Let's do it. Quick break. We got to talk about Michigan. It's the game. It's the game. 11-0, 11-0, number two versus number three at Columbus. It's going to be fucking madness. We got to talk. At Michigan-Illinois game was something, huh? <laughs> I can't believe Michigan won. Honestly, I cannot believe Michigan pulled that out. It felt so many times like Illinois had the perfect opportunity to ice it. So many fourth downs. You get one stop. You just knocked off Michigan, one of the biggest wins in Illinois history. And every time it came down to it, Michigan converted. And then when Illinois would get the ball back, it's like, you need two first downs. You need two first downs. And they call offense, run up the middle, run up the middle, third down and nine. Don't get it, punt it away. They ran like two seconds off the clock, and here you go. Here comes Michigan again just for another Jake Moody field goal to crawl a little bit closer, and they got close enough, and at the end when it counted, Jake Moody, ice, ice in Jake Moody's veins, kicks it through, puts Illinois away. They're going to go to Columbus undefeated. I cannot believe Michigan won that game. Unfucking believable And listen, say what you will. They only won by two, whatever. Great teams find ways to win. Plain and simple. Do you know how difficult it is to go undefeated in a football season? Do you understand how fucking ridiculous that is? And people will say Michigan's cupcake schedule. I don't give a fuck, dude, if they played Oakland University's club team 12 times. Do you understand how difficult it is to play 12 games, or at least to this point, 11 games, and not lose a single one of them? Do you understand how good you have to be? Do you understand not only how good you have to be, because there are some really good teams out there that have lost. There are some really good teams out there that have lost once, that have lost twice. There are good teams that have lost three times. Do you know how much better you have to be 
than everybody else to play 11 times and not lose a single one to go on the road, to play ranked teams, to play your arch rival like a Michigan State, no matter how our season's going. Do you understand how challenging that is? I don't care that they played UConn. I don't care that they played Hawaii. None of that shit matters to me. They're 11-0. and They're about to go to Columbus and what's going to be another game of the century, and they're going to play their arch rival for a chance to go to Indianapolis and inevitably the college football playoff. That's fucking impressive. And to do it off the back of last year when they did the same thing, granted they lost to Michigan State last year, which as you know, Michigan fans, I know you'll never admit it, but it hurts you. That taints your season. You know it. I know it. Everybody knows it. It fucking kills Michigan fans that you lost that game in East Lansing last year. Listen, I'm jealous of you guys. You won the Big Ten. You went to the college football playoff. That's the fucking dream. That's the point of the season, right? Don't act like it doesn't hurt you that you lost to Michigan State. But coming off that unbelievable season U of M had last year, and now you follow it up this year, you beat Michigan State this time around, and you have a chance to do it again? That's impressive stuff. It's impressive fucking stuff from Jim Harbaugh. It is. I I don't care. I hate Jim Harbaugh, by the way. I hate Michigan football. I really do. I cannot stand them. I, I hope Ohio State beats them by 70. It's impressive stuff, dude. Blake Corum's nasty. The way that they win by just grinding it out at the line of scrimmage, just letting their offensive line fucking bully you is impressive. The way they play defense by doing the same thing, letting their defensive line torture your offensive line, letting their defensive line get in your quarterback's face every time he drops back to pass. It's impressive. It's a good formula, dude. It's a tough formula to crack because the teams over the years that win because they've got sick athletes and their quarterback runs around and makes plays. Yeah, they'll win games. Yeah, they'll make it pretty far. But inevitably, it feels like that kind of crumbles. When you win because you dominate the line of scrimmage, that's a tough cookie to crack. And we saw it last year against Ohio State. Ohio State had all the athletes in the world, C.J. Stroud, the recruits. Michigan owned them at the line of scrimmage. They ran the football down their throat all day. C.J. Stroud had pressure in his face all day. Ohio State couldn't really run the ball all day, and Michigan won the game comfortably. They dominated. Really, they did. And it's looking like it could be a repeat of last year. Michigan's going to try and do the exact same shit. They've got a better running back now. I mean, Blake Corum, granted, if he plays, he went down with a knee injury against Illinois, but he walked it off and then came back out for the second half, so I don't I don't know how badly he's injured. I don't – kind of a weird – I don't know. I don't know. Um but if Blake Corum plays, they've got a better running back now. Their offensive line may be better at the very worst. It's the same. Their defensive line is better, I think. Like as a group, I think this defensive line, they lost Aiden Hutchinson and David Ojabo. I think Michigan's defensive line is better, if that's possible. I think their secondary is better. They've got the formula to beat Ohio State. They do. And it's in Columbus this time around, which will be interesting, right? They had the advantage of being in Ann Arbor. It was a cold day, snowy. The wind was blowing, which Ohio State wants to air it out. They want to get Marvin Harrison Jr. on you, Jackson Smith and Jigba, and just make you cover them. It's tougher to do when the wind's blowing and it's tough to throw. They got the weather. Michigan got the atmosphere, got what they needed last year. We'll see how it is this year. Now, I'm sure it'll be fucking cold. It's Thanksgiving. You're in Ohio. It's going to be cold. We'll see how windy it is. We'll see how snowy it is. Maybe a little precipitation. We'll see how, you know, maybe it's a nice day. Maybe it reaches 45 and it's sunny at kickoff and Ohio State's licking their chops. We'll see how all that plays out. There's going to be 100,000 at the shoe. 
fucking more angsty and loud and passionate than they've ever been for a Michigan team to come to town. And guys like J.J. McCarthy, who didn't really, haven't really experienced a road game like that. I mean, J.J. got a little bit of the fix of it when he went to East Lansing last year, and he fucking choked. (laughs) I hate to say it. He choked, but he wasn't the starter in that game. Cade took the brunt of the snaps for that one. J.J. hasn't played in a place like Ohio Stadium in the game on Thanksgiving weekend when both teams are 11-0, and and oh, yeah, Ohio State lost the last matchup. J.J. McCarthy has never experienced anything like that. It's going to be a fucking violent atmosphere in Columbus. If you're a Michigan fan and you're going down to Columbus to watch this game Saturday, Godspeed, brother. Please be safe because I have heard some nasty things. I have heard some nasty things about Michigan fans in Columbus. Like, you don't get treated very nicely from what I hear. And vice versa. I've heard Ohio State fans go to Ann Arbor, and it's not the most pleasant experience for them. Certainly when it's the game week. Um, If you're going, fucking be safe. Keep your head on a swivel. I would advise against talking a bunch of shit. But if you want to get in a fight, if that's your thing, all right, run your mouth. Do what you got to do. I would advise against too many fireball shots beforehand. I understand you want to get the liquor jacket going. We got to keep warm. We got to sustain ourselves for four quarters. I don't know if the shoe sells beer inside. I wouldn't take too much fireball. I don't want to get too much liquid courage because Ohio State fans, especially if that game's going poorly, are not going to be very happy with the sounds that come out of your mouth if you're wearing nasal blue. That said, it'll be a once in a lifetime experience. So if you do go, soak it in. The game's going to be nuts. The game's going to be nuts. Um, I'm thinking we'll we'll talk about the game itself more on Thursday or on the Thursday episode. It's tough not to, though. The Illinois game was fucking crazy for Michigan. Like, I, I feel like we should talk about that just because of how back and forth it was. Like, watching that game on my couch, end up, I was rooting for Illinois. Of course I was. Of course I was. I'm a Michigan State fan. You think I was like, yeah, I want to see Michigan do well. Fuck no. Let's get Illinois. Let's see the underdog. Let's see an upset of the century. Let's see that. Yeah, I wanted Michigan to lose, and I thought they were going to. The fact that they pulled it out, I, I'm still mind-boggled by it. Chase Brown had a little bit of a day in the first half. Um, Michigan kind of got bottled up on the ground for most of the day, really. And this is what I want to talk about. We, I think Michigan's defense will be good. Because, look, Illinois wants to run the ball. They're built like Michigan in that way. They have a great tailback. They just want to feed it to him and let him do all the work. Michigan stymied him for the most part. Yeah, he got in the end zone a couple times. Granted, off that quorum, you know, there were a couple turnovers, this, that, the other. They did a good job defensively. And I think Michigan will do a pretty good job against Ohio State as well. They haven't played a team like Ohio State. Nobody has until you play Ohio State. But I think they'll do a pretty good job. I think, like I said, they have the pass rush to get in C.J. Stroud's face enough to disrupt them so it's not going to just be seven-on-seven drills with the best wide receivers in the country. I do think they'll be able to stop Ohio State's run game with Trevion Henderson, as good as he is and as they've been on the ground. I think Michigan's built for that as well. The thing that you have to be concerned about if you're a Michigan fan, two things. One, look, Blake Corum's nasty. Your offensive line is nasty. You still only put up 19 points against Illinois. And it was kind of a similar story against Michigan State, right? I think you put what you 26 or 27 against State. Um, 
Blake Corum had a pretty good day. You ran the ball pretty well. Not the best you've ever run it, but, you know, pretty well. And somehow you're only ending with 19 points. Michigan has to find a way to score touchdowns. When you're running the ball and you're getting inside their 40, inside their 30, inside their 20 consistently, you have to find a way to turn those drives into six. You cannot settle for field goals. You cannot. You really can't. When when it was Michigan, Michigan State, and Michigan drive after drive, yes, they would move the ball. Yeah, Corum and the run game kind of had their way. But drive after drive, when they would get down to the red zone and MSU would force field goals, dude, until like the fourth quarter where it was like, all right, yeah, we're just never going to score. I felt pretty good about that game. I was thinking like, dude, they don't score touchdowns. Like as long, I understand they're moving the ball. I understand they're still scoring points, but as long as they keep settling for field goals, I feel pretty good about state in this game. Like I will feel like we have a chance. Illinois, same shit. They weren't really running it up on you. They put up 17 points and they were stuck at 17 like the entire second half. Illinois, I'm sure was looking around going, dude, I know we're fucking brutal on offense right now, but as long as Michigan has to keep settling for field goals, we're we got a chance. I feel pretty good about winning this game. You can do that and get away with it against Illinois. You can do that and get away with it against Michigan State. Look, if Michigan is going to go into the or into the horseshoe Saturday and you're going to get down to Ohio State's 30, Ohio State's 25, Ohio State's 20 inside the 10 and you got to keep kicking field goals, listen, if Michigan State was looking around going, "Hey, we feel pretty good about this." How the fuck do you think Ohio State's going to feel? You think Marvin Harrison Jr. and CJ Stroud aren't going to be salivating at the thought that, dude, McCarthy and their offense, all they get is field goals. Michigan has to figure that out if they're going to win Saturday. That's the key. That's the number one key. As much as you dominate the line of scrimmage, as great as Corum can have 500 yards on the ground. If that 500 yards ends in seven field goals, I don't like your odds. Plain and simple. That has to be the number one priority for Michigan. And for that to happen, I think it stems to one thing. And I've been saying it now. Michigan fans, people want to crucify me. Every time I say anything negative about Michigan, it's crazy. And I understand I'm a Michigan State fan, so you just don't hear anything and are stupid. So you're like, fuck this guy. Whatever. I've been saying it for the last, like, four weeks. I said it before the Michigan State game. If Michigan loses, it's going to be because J.J. McCarthy isn't as good as you think he is. And I think Michigan fans, maybe that was a hard thing to hear at first a month ago, but I think Michigan fans are starting to come around to that way of thinking. I don't think they're going, yeah, J.J. stinks. No, no, no. And he doesn't. But I think Michigan fans are starting to go like, fuck, dude, J.J. is not as good as we thought he would be. J.J. misses people wide open in the end zone, and then we settle for field goals. J.J. overthrows guys when they're wide fucking open for walking touchdowns. J.J. misses reads kind of more than I would like him to. Like, watching that Illinois game, guys, couple obvious plays where J.J. McCarthy is the reason you didn't score a touchdown. That's the truth. That's the truth. If you watch the game, Loveland, that tight end, it was crunch time. I think it was the drive that Michigan kicked the field goal to make it 17-16. Back-to-back plays, J.J. McCarthy costing you six points. The first play, that Loveland guy was wide open. There is not an Illini defender within five yards of him. Wide. 
in the end zone and JJ checks it down for like two yards inexplicably. He's rolling out to the right. Loveland is right in front of his eye line and he checks it down for two yards. It was a touchdown. Doesn't throw it to him. Next play. Loveland wide open again. This time JJ sees him and he throws it to him and it's a little too hard outside. Loveland extends. Can't come up with it. Back to back plays where JJ McCarthy and JJ McCarthy alone cost the Wolverine six points. Plain and simple. And they got away with it. Jake Moody is fucking nasty with it. God, I'm jealous you have him. And it worked and they won the game, so who cares? But against Ohio State, you and, you know, if you make the college football playoff, you can't leave touchdowns on the board. And you can't leave touchdowns on the board when you've got wide wide receivers running wide open in the end zone. It's tough. You know, when you leave touchdowns on the board because everybody's clamped and they've got a good pass rush and they're shutting down the run game, all right, fine. Their defense is great. When you leave touchdowns on the board because your five-star Messiah quarterback, who is the guy to take you to the next level, is just missing guys who are right in front of his face that are wide open, uncovered, that's an issue. That's an issue. And whether you're a Michigan fan who's willing to admit it or not, I don't fucking care. But that's the reality of the situation. If Michigan is going to lose Saturday, I'd be willing to bet everything I have. It's because of J.J. McCarthy. It is. It'd be because of J.J. McCarthy. Because he's overthrowing guys, Roman Wilson, Ronnie Bell, who are wide open. He's missing guys in the end zone, Loveland, who are wide open. He's making bad reads and throwing nearly intercepted balls. And then the one good deep ball he did throw, it was the free play. He threw a bomb to Andrell right on the money, just goes through Andrell Anthony's hands. It's like Michigan, Michigan has a good offense, and you do wear teams down with the run game, and it does work, and you do score points. You're 11-0. Don't get this. Don't I don't don't misconstrue this as me going, Michigan's offense stinks. They're not good. You're fucking, you're 11 and 0. You have a good offense. But we're talking about beating not Illinois, not beating Michigan State. We're talking about what it's going to take to beat Ohio State and then potentially Georgia after that. Your quarterback, who's the guy, can't miss touchdowns consistently like game after game, all of the time. It just, it can't happen. And it's happened for a few weeks in a row. Like I was saying before the Michigan State game, my entire mantra for MSU, like how does MSU win this game or how do I want MSU to try and win this game? I knew it was going to be a bitch stopping quorum. I knew Michigan, all they wanted to do was run the football. I understand. Anybody with a brain knows that. Ohio State will know that. Whoever you play after them will know that. I wanted MSU to force J.J. McCarthy to beat us. Stack the box. Put seven guys there. Whatever it takes, don't let Blake Corum be the reason you lose. Make J.J. McCarthy make reads and make throws and lose the game that way. That's what I wanted MSU to do. Didn't do a good, a job, not, didn't do a good enough job at it, but there were times in that state game where J.J. was forced to throw and he kind of came up short. Same deal against Illinois. Make J.J. beat you. He fucking nearly didn't. And Corum still cooked enough. The run game still worked enough. And Moody was on his game. And your defense bailed you out a little bit, so it worked. Well, look, your defense is going to have a tougher time against Ohio State than they did Illinois. 
probably safe to say your run game is going to have a little tougher time against Ohio State than they did Illinois. J.J. McCarthy at some point in this season for Michigan is going to have to make plays, whether it's deep balls, whether it's making reads in the red zone, whatever the fucking case is. He's going to have to make plays that lead to touchdowns because the way he's playing right now, some of these mistakes he does make, and he hasn't, he hasn't made any catastrophic mistakes, like an interception that loses the game for you or taking a sack that will lose the game. He hasn't made any catastrophic mistakes, but he makes enough mistakes where it's like that's going to fucking bite you at some point. You cannot keep doing that. The way Michigan State kept making mistakes against Indiana and has made mistakes all year, and they got away with them against Wisconsin. They got away with a couple of them against Illinois, and eventually they come back to bite you, and they did against Indiana for MSU. Some of these mistakes J.J. makes and the offense not being able to capitalize on these drives and turn field goals into touchdowns, they're going to come back to bite you. At some point they will. Can't wait for Saturday. It's going to be a hell of a time. Fucking football rules. Um, That's all I got today, folks. We'll see you Thursday. I appreciate everybody. Like, subscribe, follow, whatever. Spread the word. The Detroiter. uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't really ever say that or plug it very much in the podcast, but yeah. Anyways, appreciate everybody. We'll see you guys Thursday.